0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly done, Come on. Into Messi. and Messi. It's a sharing I
1: will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney.
0: Aguero. Hello coaches, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us today is Daniel Capillaro, futsal player, street footballer, now a coach. The things this guy can do with a football is unbelievable. And before we say, well, it's just Instagram, well, it's on a post-practice elite world-class futsal player, which is all about decision-making as well. So today's conversation is about how to put them together, decision-making, individual creativity, one-v-one play. How does it all go together? You're going to love this. He is so enthusiastic and passionate about it, and it comes out so well in this interview. I loved it. Please let me know what you think, at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram and Twitter. Today's podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Football Careers, global football recruitment company that specialise in recruiting for clubs, colleges, university, private soccer academies around the world. Football Careers are exclusively recruiting on behalf of AYSO United, the national club program of the American youth soccer organization. AYSO is seeking applications for its director of coaches' roles in Santa Clarita and San Diego in California. The directors will each oversee a training location and will help the club achieve its goals by supporting AYSO United's coaches, players and families. Apply through Football Careers Job Board at www.footballcareers.com. Okay, here is Daniel. Enjoy. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to have you on.
1: I'm excited to be on, you know. Like, I've watched a lot of these podcasts. Um, I spend most of my mornings in the week um, when my is at work watching podcasts, and Modern Soccer Coach is one of those podcasts oh. that... I look out for so it's great to uh to be a guest on, on your show
0: the two things there one v one that's going to be the the foundation i suppose of our conversation and, and it kind of how we started communicating online was around this one v one clip your your background very 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 strong background in futsal especially so one v one and and we've done a few futsal extra, uh, webinars and, and a lot of it's around. Decision-making futsal, rotations in futsal, team concepts in futsal. Uh, but we don't talk a lot about 1v1 in futsal. How important is it? Uh, how much have you taken from it? Can you talk a little bit about the 1v1 in futsal?
1: Yeah. Um, 1v1 in futsal, uh, again, I think it depends on your, your environment where you're playing. So I've played on a lot of courts that are smaller. The international size courts, 1v1, I would say is probably even more important. Um, if you look at, again, it also depends on what, what league you watch. So if you're watching Spain, you're going to see, in terms of uh, Liga Nacional, for like Barcelona into movie star these teams. Uh, if you're watching Spain, you're going to see a lot of movement. There's a lot of rotation. There's a lot of passing. There's a lot of um, maybe two touch, three touch. If you watch the Brazilian league, you'll see that, but you'll see them create also isolations. Now, in Spain, they they have, a I think, a good mix because the let's say the team Inter Movie Star when Ricardinho was playing at uh, Inter Movie Star, they had players that could pass a move, but then they'd create the isolation for him because his 1v1 was just so good. And I've spoken with... His name's Javier Lozano. I was actually in England when I spoke with Javier Lozano. He's now the president of the Liga Nacional Football Solo. And I was doing a uh, futsal conference there at uh, St. George's Park. And he said, um, in Spain, we love to play 2v2. He said, but Brazil was the best 1v1. We had to find ways that Spain could beat Brazil. And then we also need to find ways that we can help our league. And he said Ricardinho is is his player because we don't have players like that in Spain. Um and even moving forward now, there's a player at Barcelona called Diego, D-Y E G-O. Not not like not like the uh, Argentinian Diego, you don't want to get him yeah. confused. Um that he his 1v1 is exceptional. It's just ridiculous. Um it's not overly complicated, but it's all about understanding space time, entice, engage. So in terms of 1v1 and what I took from futsal, um, playing on smaller courts, you have to use your peripheral vision. Uh, The 1v1 is more to dribble side to side, laterally. Um, I've come under fire a lot from people, (laughs) especially when I was playing, because I used to do a lot in front of the player. But I would wait to see what the player does. And if the player runs at me, I could give the ball and I can move. So I create the space behind. If the player sits in and they stand still for a second, I can play a pass past them. So it's almost, do I get them to switch off or do I get them to run at me or any way for them to break the um, their defensive structure or their zone, I suppose. Uh, playing in a small court, you don't have to go man to man too much because you can mark the space because there's not much of it. Um, So in terms of those aspects, I think there is a lot of 1v1 that can be taken from futsal and especially in youth development, because we want players that can handle the ball in the most, uh, let's say, pressurized situations. So where is the least amount of space, where is the least amount of time? If we have players that can escape from those situations. areas, then it's only going to help football because once you get onto a pitch, you feel like you're playing on a
0: farm. Yeah, it's it's almost like the paradox or, or the irony of possession football is that the more we want possession football, the more at the, at the top of the mountain, almost you need then the difference makers, the, the dribblers, the creativity. US, especially North America, why do you think 1v1 has, has dropped out of the game? Do you think it's because of the tactics? Do you think it's more society? Or, or what What's what happened there that so much of a demand or such a shortage?
1: Um, you dropped out a little bit there, but I think uh, what you were saying is in terms of um, the 1v1, like people obviously now want two-touch or three-touch maximum. Um, the reason why I think the 1v1 suffers, if you, again, it depends on uh, people always say soccer knowledge or football knowledge. Um, and I, I say this with immodesty, right? Because everyone has their own experiences and there's no truth in football. Michelle Brunix, there's no truth in football, right? It's a great quote because, and I always use that with people. I'm like, you know, what what you bring to the table is fantastic as well. You know, that you can learn something from everyone. Um, in terms of the 1v1, when you watch the game, if I watch the English Premier League, I see Kevin De Bruyne, Opens out, takes it on his back foot. It's either, you know, 20 yards, 10 yards, 15 yards, and he's playing a pass and he's moving again. I think the space is opening and closing so fast at the highest level. Um, It happens in futsal as well, where you don't have those moments to remain on the ball unless you have like a PSG where we see their games around Neymar or even France with Mbappe. Um, or I hope we actually talk a bit about Fluminense because I like uh, Ganso a lot. Felipe Ganso, I liked him when he was at Santos and I love the way he plays with Fluminense because he's just everywhere. Uh, He slows the game down and he stays on the ball. But if you're not looking for these other leagues, if you're not watching the other teams, like say if you, you just want to watch Liverpool, well, then you're like, okay, cool. Well, you've got to press really high from the top. Everyone has to be, you know, um super intense and then as soon as we if we win the ball up top we can attack straight away so th- you're not going to see much 1v1 there um unless it's like a counter attack and it's just sprinting down the line which um there's many different ways to go 1v1 um you know like javi iniesta bernardo silva isco david silva uh rick uh, boca juniors you know we're going back a bit now but these players were all incredible at 1v1 um, and they slowed the game down. They did not use a lot of speed. They weren't playing at 100 miles an hour. Um, They took as many touches as they liked, you know, sometimes just bouncing passes between each other and then they'd hold the ball. So I think it is just having that understanding and just taking on as much football as you possibly can, um, especially in terms of tactically, to understand that, If I'm getting pressed, okay, I need to move the ball fast. But players need to move as well. If we're not getting pressed, he's sitting in a low block. Moving the ball fast is not going to do much at all. It's not going to unorganise the defence. You know, you need that player. Um, And I think City did it best last season with Grealish and um, uh, Grealish and uh, Bernardo Silva. Mm. So, oh, Riyad Mahrez. Mm. Riyad Mahrez is probably even a, a better example because. Riyad has that 1v1 ability where I call it like there's there's the speed dribbler and then there's people who can beat you in a phone box, mm. you know, and Mares can do both. Like he can beat you with his first touch. He can stop the ball dead. He'll dangle his foot over the ball. And then if he needs to sprint, he can go. Uh, Grealish is the same. You see them, I call it like dragging the ball. Um, You see this a lot in futsal as well where they keep it on the back foot and they'll move the sideways and laterally to try and create space. And they're just waiting for a mistake. They're just waiting for a mistake. So if you don't have those players, and all you can do is go down the line, um, I suppose you, you know you're resorting to a lot of crossing. You're resorting to a lot of cutbacks. You're resorting to. It's pretty hard to break down a uh, I think a low four four two if you don't have those players.
0: Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Your your background just when you talk about seeing as much football as possible, like your background is really really interesting for a number of reasons, but w- one of the facts that jumped out to me when I, when I was reading about you, first Australian to play in the Champions League. Um, <laughs> in futsal, what was the process then of of learning? To, like, that's a high, high standard to get to. W- what was your role models in the futsal? Or how did you learn? Because I can imagine it wasn't as big as what it is now.
1: No, it, it grew, um, I think, exponentially over here Like, I was in Melbourne um, on the back end of 2015 and and the start of 2016. um, And futsal was still growing. When I left to go and play in Europe, um, it was still growing, still emerging. People were starting competitions in different states. um, And it was starting to get a lot bigger in Western Australia as well. And then I think after 2016, 2017... We had a match here in Melbourne between Douglas Costa and Falcao. Falcao being the um, FIFA named him as the greatest uh, futsal player of all time. Uh, He was awarded with that. Um, It's obviously, you know, it's arguably you can say there's other players, etc. We had a match like that and there was also the the Futsal rules qualified for the 2016 World Cup. Um, There was just a lot of futsal at that time. And it grew exponentially. And now there seems to be much more opportunities um, for players.
0: You've classified yourself a self anointed street footballer, kind of like the dribbler we talked about, you know, like Cruyff's talked about. Yeah, it's exactly like the, the dribbler footballer. Probably the two of them are quite aligned, the situations in the streets. Like the streets aren't there anymore. Even I wouldn't put my kids out in the street uh, to play football. <laughs> Safety today, parents being overprotective. All those things. We're so organised. We talked a little bit before about how organised football is and how creativity. How do you then balance between this organisation side in terms of either training and then finding ways for them to to play street football? Is it possible to do that?
1: In my opinion, and everyone's is different, again, uh, as I've said, street football is small numbers. like of, of players on teams and small spaces. So if you're playing two V two played inside a, a 10 by 20 or play or 15, whatever it is, 15 by 20 and um, you can, the word the word I'm looking for is like guidance. Uh, you, you just don't, you don't coach it basically like you're not going to stop things. Um, I suppose you're still coaching it in a sense, but you're not, um, yeah, you're not uh, stopping players from doing whatever they want to do on the ball because they're going to make mistakes. And they're going to make poor decisions. Sometimes poor decision turns into the right one <laughs> and they and they go and score. So how can you tell them they're wrong? Um, you know, and that happens in football as well. So I think in terms of street football, that's, that's the best way to create it. Um, I'm actually talking with the club where I work at at the moment and I said, just, just yesterday, I mentioned it. I said, look, on the Saturdays, why don't you do some intra-club games? the oh, we don't have enough players. I said, play 2v2. Two two. Mm-hmm. I said, run a little World Cup. Make it a small World Cup. You know, like, you guys are USA. You're Wales. You're England. You're Brazil. You're Colombia. You're Australia. Whoever. Um, and you have different pairs every weekend. it adds to the matches that they play. And it also gives them an opportunity to defend a lot. To attack a lot, to have to you know backtrack, dribble everything. Um, I think if you develop individuals in that kind of environment, to defend and to attack as a unit becomes easier. And uh, street football is not self-anointed, by the way. <laughs> I um, in two thousand and twelve, uh, to I like I love street football, so I used to do a lot of the skills and stuff that I see on YouTube. Um, and in two, well, going back 2007, I was sponsored by Masters of the Game. So this was a company that um, Edward Van Gill's uh, was working for, and that's when I, I travelled to Holland doing these types of things, uh, which we'll, we'll get onto um, in a bit. And uh, in 2012, FIFA Street, the video game, came out, and I yeah. had one of sixteen. Yeah, I had one of sixteen characters. So after that, I was like, yeah, I guess I was street football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because like, really, there's. It, i suppose it's it being australian it's hard to call yourself a street
0: footballer right <laughs> uh, Bernard, Bernard, in your experience you say there's no truth but it's in you you've got a set of experiences that i'm sure has value in in comparing who's doing it right and who's a little bit behind the eight ball. who is who's getting this balance right between looking after the individual and creating i mean i, I watched a bit of I watched about Argentina, the reason why I asked, I watched about Argentina the other day, and um, this, this 17-year-old, uh, Echeverri, and I'm sure everyone's seen him. Mm. This is 17 years of age, but then I'm watching, I'm thinking, you know, you look at, obviously, the Maradonas, and obviously the Messis, but then you start looking at the Crespos, and then you start looking at the Barastutas, and then you start looking at the Amars, and you start to, is there countries that are, that are more set up to produce attacking types of players. There has to be.
1: It's it's an interesting one because when I did travel, um, and even now you don't have to travel; you just have to hop onto Instagram and know what you're looking for. The amount of players you find that, that, that in Argentina or in this uh, in this example in Brazil that have like the ability. Of a Vinicius Jr. or a Neymar or a Rivaldo or a Kaka, or a, the amount of players that have the similar ability, there would be thousands of them. Mm. But only few make it to the top leagues in Europe or get those opportunities or have that chance or the right things align for them. So then you know, we know who Romario is. Um, it's just, in, in my opinion, that was staggering. That was staggering. Like when I when I saw, there, there was a boy that I played. I say boy. He was a man <laughs> when I played against him, but he's younger than me, right? I'm 37, so there's a lot of kids now. Um, I played against him when I was in Brazil, when we did the Neymar Junior Red Bull. And he was just part of like a, a street football team. Um, that they had making YouTube videos. He was playing professional futsal as well. He does that more uh, seasonally. His name's Kelvin. He was on the Adidas Tango Squad when they used to do this. Mm. Now, this this guy was one of the most composed, one of the most um, just technically gifted, in control of the ball, understanding of the game. We were playing uh, 6v6, but... Everything was around him. And then I went and had a look for him a bit later. And uh, in the Tango Squad, he's actually scored this goal at Old Trafford where he's received the ball on the wing, cut inside, he left footer and he's put it into the top corner. Someone, a player like that, and especially because he's playing football at such a high level, I wondered and I was like, how do, how do they not reach the top, top level of football? And you have to think that there's an element of luck. There's an element of that right place, right time. There's an element of that chance. And like that boy Kelvin is not um, alone. There is many of these players. And I think that's why we continually see, like you just said, you know, you were like, okay, Aymar, Crespo, Raquel May, Badestuda, going all the way back, you know? And there's ones we've missed there. There's ones we've missed. And there's ones that were touted as being the next Maradona that, you know, after 22, 23, people stop talking about. So we don't include them in those conversations. But, but the, those are talents as well. Like if Australia produces one of them, we're always talking about them. So, and the same goes for Brazil. Um, it's a reason I I fell in love with Barcelona was because of Rivaldo, because of Romario, because of R9, because of Sonny Anderson. You know, Sonny Anderson doesn't get mentioned much, but he yeah. played for Barcelona. He, he was incredible player. Um, Ronaldinho, Neymar. Dani Alves, um, like this, is so many, many good Brazilian players. Like Marcelo and Dani Alves, even Roberto Carlos, they could be left wingers, they could be right wingers, not just um, left backs, right backs, or left back, left wing backs, right wing backs. Um, they could have played any position in that in the sides, and I think that's. Um, It's scary when you think of it like that. And that's what I saw from travel.
0: Hello coaches, we'll take a quick break here. This interview has been kindly sponsored by our good friends, Football Careers. Football Careers are exclusively recruiting on behalf of AYSO United, the national club program of the American youth soccer organization. AYSO is seeking applications for its director of coaches roles in Santa Clarita and San Diego in California. The directors will each oversee a training location and will help the club achieve its goals by supporting AYSO United's coaches, players and families. Apply through Football Careers Job Board at www.footballcareers.com Link is also below. Thanks to Football Careers and please check them out. That, that's really interesting. You're saying that there's there's hundreds and thousands of those types of players. Michael Owen was in an interview this morning. I didn't watch it; just the headline came up, um, and it was the Premier League is there's average footballers a Premier League or or something along those lines. And it's uh, <laughs> all clickbait. I know it's clickbait, but I'm, I'm going to watch it, of course. But yeah, so, almost like it is the player who is average but has the right mentality and the commitment and the tactical understanding valued then more than someone who maybe lacks a little bit of that. But has the creative flair Are we still biased towards that, I wonder?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And it's funny you say bias, right? Because one thing that I've learned as I've got older, I always tell people, like, oh, look, I've got my biases. So, so I'll always tell you, I'll be like, no, I think the creative players, you know. <laughs> like, that's that's how I see it. Yeah. Um, but there is also, uh, I mean, look, I was very lucky when I was 17, 18. Um, to be able to have conversations with Eddie McGoldrick.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes, you talk about Ireland, you talk about um, Arsenal, obviously, Eddie McGoldrick, Crystal Palace too, Eddie McGoldrick. And he was telling me um, that when he was 14, 15, 16, 17, he was knocking on doors, getting um, turned away from trials. Knocking on doors, getting turned away, knocking on doors, getting, and he went again and again and again and again. So I suppose that kind of experience that a professional player can have uh, would be very different from a Javi Siemens, mm. where his, I remember seeing Javi Siemens playing at La Mazzia when he was uh, 10 or 11, and people were like, this kid is going to be the one. And then later when I'm back here in Australia, it's like, you know, you've seen him, coming through, they've sold him to PSG, and now he's uh, playing where he's playing at at Leipzig, and he's played for the Dutch national team. So the two trajectories are very, very different. Um, But I think there is place for both. And I think, um, because we're also talking, you asked me about, like you said, my career was very, very different. Um, My opportunities to play overseas and travel with futsal Didn't come until I was about 25, 26. Oh, wow. So sometimes it's about not giving up. Sometimes it's about outlasting. Sometimes it's about that how much do you want to try and pursue something, even when it's not there. You're just going after it. Um, And I think that has a lot to play into making it to any kind of elite level um, in football, futsal, beach soccer, (laughs) you know.
0: This element of 1v1 creativity, the, the street football, and then there's obviously at the other end of the spectrum is is positional training. And When, in your opinion, do you think it should be moving in that type of direction to be a bit more deliberate about certain situations or maybe layer in the tactical side of the game?
1: I, look, I think 17, 16, 17. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. There's there's obviously people that are like, look, we need to do it earlier. We've got to play like this. Mm. But the problem with it being is, and, and again, this is my opinion. We look at professional football. It begins when you're 16. Some are like 15, some amount of days, but mostly when you're 16. Now, you know that. Um, who just came on for Spain and for Barcelona. And he's just kind of taken that part of Europe by storm at the moment. You know, like there's every story is about him. It's The other day Lewandowski didn't give him a high five and it was a big deal. And it was just like, it, it, it was just ridiculous things. Um, but he's just so technically gifted. And I feel that if we do move towards a tactical side. uh, Again, it's a fine balance. If you do move towards that positional side where it's like, okay, um, I'm 13, I'm a six. I need to be able to do this. I've got one and two options. Um, When you go into professional football, each team is tactically very different. That's something we don't really face here in Australia. Everything's 4-3-3 because of our national curriculum um, or close to it. So you're only ever really two or one opponents to deal with, especially in a big pitch, um, where that that can change a lot in professional football. Um, the ideas of being able to solve problems on the go, I think, begin to disappear when we're playing positional football. Um, there's a nice little interview with Zinchenko, and he's like, look, if I'm the left back and I move inside and I trust my center back with the ball, it goes, the right winger has to come with me. And so then my left winger can get the ball or the the six can go wide and get the ball. If he doesn't, I get the ball inside. And Zinchenko plays 10 for Ukraine. So those things tactically, um, I think it takes away from the moments where I'm stuck There's only two of us against three attackers. How are we going to get out? Where's the way out? You know, how can we get away from this situation? How can I help my teammates? What am I looking for? Um, I need to scan. I need to use peripheral vision. I need to keep the ball. I need to shield the ball. All those types of um, moments that that you face constantly in football. If you know how to deal with them and you've had years of dealing with them, to be instructed is much easier, I
0: would feel. I would agree. And, and I would be a proponent for position-specific training. But I do think that it should be looked at a little bit more critically where, you, to to your point there, you're saying there that the game is going to be flexible and change. But also, like you might under-train a kid, especially in the number six position, which... Yes. You may think that is the, the quote-unquote water carrier, and you may say it's just from a... I tell you what, you go to the, you look at Rodri and you look at the highest level that there's not very few that aren't comfortable playing forward, running with the ball, doing all the things that 8s and 10s are doing as well, right?
1: And that's exactly right. So when, when you do look at the highest level now, and you look at a John Stones or a Rodri, using City examples, but even when Rodri plays for Spain, he played centre-back at the World Cup so obviously uh, playing it as a six the pressure comes from behind or sometimes sometimes it can come from in front but mostly from uh from your back mm-hmm. so then playing in front and having to worry about offside and having to you know where's a striker and you know am i gonna have to backtrack do i need to cover all these types of different things scenarios um will come up in the game and then you have john stones who's also like scoring goals and finding himself at number 10. uh i know that's It's very uh, talked about at the moment because everyone's like, you know, John Stones couldn't be a number 10. But we can also use, um, I suppose, Brighton as an example. Um, And it's a conversation that I had with my my good friend who's also a very good football player. And we always talk about creating time and space. And he said to me, he goes, you know, the Libero is going to come back. Mm -hmm. And watching Brighton, where's the space now? It's with the centre-backs. The spaces with the centre backs and Peps realize that too, because even Pep, the build up's changed a bit. Um, with Arsenal, their build up's changed a bit and it's all very spread. It's using the keeper as an extra player. Um, Fluminense do it immaculately because they've just got players moving all over the place. It's like a big futsal team of 11 players. Yeah, it's just, it's insane the rotations and the movement. And it's all just to create time and space. And if not for myself, for my teammates. Uh and not, not always in that order, you know, maybe I've got to create it for teammates first. So I think when you're when you're looking at that, um, and I heard someone say, I, I can't remember where it was, but it was on a um on a podcast. It might have been Zeb Jacobs. And he said, What's the number one thing that will never change in football in five years time? And then in ten years' time, what will not change? And that's technical ability on the ball and the need to be able to understand, someone's come into my space, okay, I need to move out. I can't just stand still. I need to understand where the space is, how I create it. Um, am I making a sacrificial run? Am I making the run to get the ball? And then when I get the ball, can I keep it? Can I hold it? Do I go forwards? Do I dribble to the space? Do I dribble to engage? Do I entice? Do I put my foot on it and bring it back? You know. So all of those different, um, let's say uh, attributes or traits or, or uh, moments in the match, Need to be understood in order to then go to the very next level. Um, that's again, that's my belief. I saw a clip the other day, it was shared by an Australian account, and it was a boy in Japan got the ball, dribbled seven players, scores. And the, the comment was, This is why we travel. And I thought to myself, I know at least 10 players in Australia that could do that, but at grassroots level, after the fifth touch, they're getting asked to pass the ball, um, and, and simply because the longer you hold it, the more risk of losing it. Um, why are we worried about the risk of losing it? Because it's at the detriment of a result. And if you leave that aside, positionalism um, or positional or yeah, positional play does not um, does not enter your mind. Yes, we need to understand. Okay, I'm in this area, I'm playing like this with my team, but I don't always need to be there as an 11 year old, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old. I don't always need to be there, you know. Um, that's yeah, that's my opinion.
0: Very, very interesting. I I was going to answer your question, why does the coach say that? And I was going to, and I wasn't going to go for the result, I was going to go for because the coach has a vision of how the coach thinks. Football should be played, which is in order for us to score the perfect goal. Everyone's gonna touch the ball. It's good on a tactical pad uh, animation. No one does more of them than me. Your interpretation of football can actually be quite harmful if you think that in order for a for a solution that you mentioned there about someone getting in your space, you cannot solve that with an overload every single time. That's got to yeah. be solved by in improvisation, creativity, whatever it is. And I and I actually think players, I think the player do you know the way we've seen it for years that the player who didn't check their shoulders getting pressure clattered and then is looking around and saying, Hey, you never no one ever no one told me. I think I think the player tomorrow is gonna actually have pressure coming in front of them even and say, Hey, I didn't have anything else on, so that's why I lost the ball. And I think that's a I got a bit of an issue that we're going to have with this, not not possession game because I'm not saying and, and oh. it's it's too much of you have to solve everything with with the same solution.
1: Yeah, and I I had this conversation as well because I hadn't coached in a club for a long time. Like last time I done club coaching or coaching that was um, let's say with a team. Um, I hadn't done that since like 2012 and then I was back in it last year and people uh, came to me with like, look, you've got to do more of this. The ball goes here, six, left back, six, right back. Why are you playing with two sixes? Because they're 13, because the passes need to be smaller, keep the spaces tight. If we lose, we were playing up an age group as well. If we lose the ball and the ball is like five yards away, much easier to win back in packs much easier to try and uh, turn the player backwards, as opposed to if I play a fifteen or twenty yard, a thirteen-year-old versus a fourteen-year-old. That's Usain Bolt against Rodri. Like he's putting it into the space and he's and he's just away. You know, it's like the old Ryan Giggs clips. Remember them from like ninety-two or ninety-three, where he just pump it down the line and just accelerate away. He was doing that to men. That's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah. I, It is, it is a tough one. It is, it's tough to explain because of that kind of idea. And there's also an idea around small sided games. There's an idea around futsal. There's an idea around, um, it's funny that you say that about like how the coach sees the game. I didn't want to say that. (laughs) I I try and, I try and be more positive. (laughs) But I, I, even to the point where like, So I've I've got a different team now, we're in our pre-season, we're preparing for 2024, and I said to the players, um, I said, look, when you're playing with certain players, I said, you need to understand how much pressure that player can deal with. I said, maybe you can have a player here. I said, but maybe the next player next to you needs five metres, they need six metres, so we have to support that player more. You can't not make the runs, you can't not come and support the ball carrier. Because the boss is going to be sent because he feels the pressure. And in many ways, there is a lot of coaching like that too. So it's like, I see the player holding the ball, and I'm starting to get agitated and nervous and overwhelmed because I know if I was there, I wouldn't be able to handle it myself. Um, But yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that goes into it. Daniel,
0: that even goes back to one of the things you said at the start about how much you watch. And if you're limited as a coach for a, call it a student of the game, but if what what I don't what I'm not a big fan of in coach education today is I don't see them watching the game. I see them being presented with a version of the game. That you yes, think, I, I like that. That sounds really, really good. Pep does it. I, I'm more, Where do I find? But in order for you to learn the game, you have to experience it and watch it, and that's why I think the best the best coaches are probably, you know obsessed with the game in some way where they watch, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, their knowledge is quite good of the game because they've always been fans. Do you need to be a player to be a coach? No. But do you need to be a fan to be a coach? I'd argue, yeah, because that's what's going to drive you to actually have a bank of pictures.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's funny you say that about being a fan because, like, um, so my background's half Italian, half Croatian. And the other day it popped up a video of Robert Proshinecki and I always knew Proshinecki was really good. Like I knew he was quality, right? Cause my uncles talked about him more so than Boban or Savicevic or these other players. And um, Robert Proshinecki, I found these clips and this is from like, I'd say late eighties, early nineties, solar foot on the ball spinning away from players, making the Pushkas V drag backs or the L drag backs um, using a sole and inside rolling his foot across the ball, and these are on like let's be honest, the pitches back then. Hmm. Um, they're probably worse than what the kids are playing on now that I coach. So, so it was it was more than possible. It was how comfortable he was in the ball, how very good he was at enticing players. Because I don't think he was super quick from what I could see in the uh, in the guy.
0: Big guy, yeah. Yes,
1: he He was. He was tall. He was tall. Hmm. Yeah, and but he was just able to, you know, manipulate the ball in a way where he'd bring two or three players to him, and then he can just everyone kind of played around him. You know, it was uh, it was impressive to see that. So I suppose long ago, um, I say that I was born in eighty six, so it's not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but long in, ago. <laughs> in, in terms of in terms of football and, and tactical evolutions, it was quite long ago. Um, you know, it's, it's changed a lot since then. But those, those types of players, like seeing that, uh, it's almost proof that, like, that's why I think it's going to come back again. You know, I think the 10 will come back because at the moment I said the space is with the centre-back. Before the space was with the six, and that's why we saw the tiki-taka and we saw the – well, people, you know, tiki-taka is a coin phrase. I know no one really likes it anymore. People are really off it all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just football's fads, right? Um, the fact that they used to hold the ball in between the midfield and the defence, mm. now it's being held with a centre-back. So as the press graduates forward, the space will first be with a nine or it'll be with a ten and it'll it'll appear again. And then the game will – I don't Look, it's a, it's a bold statement to say it'll slow down because <laughs> it just seems to be getting quicker. Yeah. Yeah. But But the way I see Fluminense playing, the way I see Malmo playing in Sweden – the way um, we even see Brighton, right? It's at his it stance. Lewis Dunk, come on now, Lewis Dunk. Like, when I was watching Lewis Dunk previously, I, I didn't think anything. I didn't even know Lewis Dunk. Yeah. You know? The way I knew Lewis Dunk previously was he used to get, like, six points in FPL. and was like, ah, he's a good option, you know, like, get him in. So... Now he's he's putting solar foot on the ball and he's staring players in the face and he's waiting for the six. And if it's not there, he, he can use, you know, Matoma wide or um, Sully Marsh on the other side, or he's using his goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's putting their foot on the ball. The six is coming all the way into the box. So that idea of who dictates the play, um, is changing and it'll change again. Um, yeah.
0: All right, I want to get into this here because I'm sure you've been asked this question a thousand times. <laughs> so I know you're going to be well equipped for it. This aspect of individual creativity, the Instagram, like your Instagram, some of it's just on, but like some of these moves <laughs> are outrageous. Um, Thank you. But you're going to have critics, I'm sure, that are going to say, "Hey, I've I know these these Instagrammers. They step on a pitch. They can't deliver." It's not applicable. It's not transferable to the game. And we've kind of been talking a little bit about this, but let's go into now kind of this aspect of of freestyling or creativity and then individual practice where you see now kids on Instagram, on TikTok, whatever platform it is, working on the ball. Again, you've been asked that I'm sure a thousand times, right? Like what is the transfer? You You obviously believe in it.
1: The way if someone comes super critical, the one thing you cannot deny, um, and there's clips of Jordan Henderson doing reverse step overs around the world, flicking the ball up. He's on Soccer AM, Skill School as well, with Raheem Sterling. Now, this is Jordan Henderson. Jordan Henderson does not strike you as a player that does step overs and he's very flary and he's very um, over elaborate with his technical ability. Very technical, but not over elaborate he still has all those skills. So it is the balance, the coordination, and the more I read, the more I find out, the more people I speak to that are, I, I, did, I did sport recreation management. I did two years of it at university um, before I started working in, within coaching. Um, the more I talk to people in terms of sports science, proprioception is a massive one. Because it, in my belief as well, it's. The foundation of technique. So everyone goes, Oh, you've got to get your standing foot very close to the ball. Well, how do I do that if I'm looking at the ball and the player's there? I need to be able to feel my ankle, my foot in space. I need to be able to make those, uh, the neurological pathways to my feet that then is like, Okay, I know where the ball is. I saw it about a second ago. It's coming into this area. I'm planting my foot, I'm striking, and it's coming through with the laces. Or I'm stepping differently and I'm going with the outside of my foot or I'm using the inside or the sole or however else. So it is balance and coordination first. And this is, again, in my opinion, I know it's shared by many, um, the stepping stone for players to lift their head. And we all want people to get their head up. We all want players to lift their head. Oh, lift your head, get your head up. Oh, terrible demo, his head was down and things like that, ridiculous stuff, mate. Like. So everyone wants players to lift their head. How do you lift your head? How are you How are you able? So I can, uh, with certain moves, put my hand over my face and I can do all the moves on the floor. I can do it staring at a camera. Um, you don't get to that level without that kind of practice unopposed. Because if you start doing that with someone in front of you, you're going to get uh, clamped, as they call it in the, these days. <laughs> so... That's data nicely, right? So you, the ball will come from underneath your foot. You're going to lose the ball. You're going to, you know, um, lose possession. So it needs to be done alone first. That's from the youth development side, from the senior level side. However, you decide to use that ability is completely up to you. As we see with Jordan Henderson, as we see with Kevin De Bruyne, there's clips of Kevin De Bruyne playing street football in a pan He's unbelievable on the ball. The, the Like he can spin over the ball, he can twist, he can bring it back behind himself. Like lots of different, uh, what you'd call ball manipulation or ball mastery that you see street footballers doing. And further to this again, I know it, it happens here in Australia. I face a lot of that in Australia. But if we look at like uh, Belgium as an example, I loved it when... Um, when um, uh, Zeb Jacobs said this about at Royal Antwerp. He said, We bring in street footballers once a month just to do moves to develop that balance and coordination. He said, Not generally moves that you, you would do in a game. He goes, You may never use it in a game, but the ball familiarity, the comfort, comfortability I don't even know if that's a word. We're just we're making up words here. <laughs>
0: um,
1: the, that, that feeling you have on the ball, the confidence you have on the ball. Um, just from you know like i hop and drag my foot across the ball like i'm on one leg you know like you, you may never do that but the fact you can do that and also how you land there's a prehabilitation uh to that as well like the landing and the muscle memory etc that can help you you know it's never gonna uh, touch wood it's never gonna stop you from having injuries but it can move towards stopping having injury because of the proprioception so in terms of how players use it at a top level, it's completely up to them. But it's something that I think all players need. And if we look at our Brazil's, uh, Belgium's, Holland's, they've been doing that for years. Look at look at France. Look at the Algerian, Moroccan, French players that come out of those um, communities where there's like high, high tall, uh, high rise apartments, and there's a pitch at the bottom. Same happens in Brazil. You know, you've got your Riyad Mahrez, Ben Arfa, um, Remy, Remy Cabello was another one that played at Newcastle United, uh, Obertan, Zinedine Zidane, like you can go on and on and on. Karim Benzema, these these types of players i have been playing in those environments and they're not playing all the time. There's a lot of skills, there's a lot of tricks. There's video, I shared one on my story the other day of Riyad Mahrez doing loads of drag backs, you know, different footsaw moves, flicking the ball up, catching the back of his neck, heel it over his head, around the world. So there's freestyle and there's also the ground move stuff in there, the ball mastery. Um, And again, I I think freestyle is an extension of ball mastery too because you learn how to control the ball with a certain spin. You learn how to bounce it off the knuckle of your toe. You learn how to, you know, your, your toes has to be, your big toe has to be up when you're doing the around the world. And when you're bringing the ball down from the sky, it's a very similar thing. You think of your big toe. You don't have to look at the ball. You think of your big toe and it hits you on the knuckle. It will just drop for you. You know, these little things that ball mastery, balance coordination, proprioception, uh, the street, playing umpteen amounts of games, small numbers, um, gives to players. And I think that's why we see, like, you know, the example I gave before of that Kelvin uh, and being in Brazil and the Mm -hmm. amounts of players that have this ability.
0: I'm sure there'd be very, very few people would disagree with that. But then but then you go out and you see some of the individual work that people are getting exposed to and it's not great. You would only have to go on Instagram to see some of it that, and I don't know what it is, like what's the best way to coach this? Because there's people that we talk about over-coaching the, the, the team game. But I, yeah. I see Daniel. I see people posting. I always watch a little individual, but they get an idea or two. But some of the coaches are just turn good, turn do do do. That's the soundtrack of it. It's just constant, constant, constant. So there's no creativity in that either. So how mm. how are you when you're working with that individual player and you're working on ball mastery? How much space are you giving them, or how much are you assigning a move here, there? How do you how do you navigate through that?
1: Working alone with a coach will only take you so far. You have to play as well. You have to play as well because you'll never, you'll never find that, you know, it's like if we were to talk about a different subject, and to give the same example, scanning. Scanning's another one. So it's like, we, we get a, it's a, it's a big buzzword at the moment. People love the scan. Um, like I'll, I'll say to kids that are like seven years old, I go, what can we do? I said, you know, like we check our shoulder and they're like, oh, huh, scan. And I'm like, where have you heard this? You know, like you're <laughs> seven years old. And they're like, oh yeah, scan, you know. Um, with scanning, we see the the exercises where, people, where players will be 13 red, you know, six yellow, stuff like that. Fantastic for habit building, fantastic for I'm turning around, I'm getting the information, and then I have to repeat the information. Um, However, in a game, I might scan once or twice. I have the line behind my back. I don't really have to scan again. Um, If I'm a centre-back, am I really scanning at all? Um, It's all contextual to wherever the player's playing, and it is also to the information being given. So the one-to-one or that that uh, alone work with the coach, or even by yourself with the ball, because um, you don't need a coach there. Like you can do it yourself. You still need at some point an opponent. The only way to get better one v one is playing one v one.
0: Gary Neville overlap with uh, Marcus Rashford. It's just before the season's about to start, and in the first five minutes, he's talking about basically how he. How he, pract- or how he constructs his off-season with special coaches. I think he's got a tactical coach. I think he's got an individual coach, obviously the chef, the S&C. We talk about the game changing in 5, 10 years tactically. In 5, 10 years, is there going to be NBA-type individual coaches that are not just available in the off season, but almost working with people during the year. Like how do you think that space is going to look in a, in a few years?
1: I think it will. And I think because the street football culture is dying. Like we don't, we don't have one here in Australia. There's people that will go and play street or they play pickup or they're playing, you know, on a small court, three V three, four V four. So there's a few people that are doing it, but the actual culture of going into the street and playing with your neighbors or, Just going to your local football um, club and then using the field when no one's there and just, you know, meeting up with friends or teammates, that's kind of gone. Um, When I used to, when I was 10, 11, 12, right up to 14, we were always catching up on the weekend or after school. If we weren't playing 1v1, that was the minimum. We would play 2v2, we would play World Cup or Wembley, singles or pairs um i know in england they call it wembley most most of the world call it world cup <laughs> um you know headers and volleys games like that juggling playing uh what, what is now football we used to call it football tennis you know we used to play a lot of games like that and sometimes just just driving the ball just seeing how long you can do a ping doing free kicks um smashing the ball up in the air and trying to control it yeah. all this kind of stuff you play over the road Cars that go past, you try and chip it over the car, you know. Um, a lot of things like that. We used to do some silly things, but a lot of games like that, and that has gone completely. So now that type of um, training or that type of engagement is with a coach, um, which probably leads on to what you can going to ask next.
0: <laughs> yeah. Where, where do they make it up? like what's the what's the so if you if you went into a club and you're gonna look at a you know, club in the u s is looking at three four hundred i like I understand the curriculum type it's easier to manage with this type of programming that same with coach education but you, you you trade one challenge in for another right you you get a little bit of control but then you lose the creativity and the if someone hired you tomorrow to solve that problem, where would you start?
1: In terms of a team,
0: like in terms of a club, you know, like in you talk a about them and, and, a, and a culture and, and being a bit more you know, prioritizing it or placing a premium on one one v one, like you mentioned there about the idea that you had about you know two v two if you didn't have the numbers. Is is that the type of way you would go around it, or would you be more structured and be like, nah we got to move to core of our stuff or we got to move to more individual stuff or how would you move that? What would you do?
1: Um, at the start of at the start of all my sessions, I always have a ball mastery component that is like 10, 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. Depends, like you, I get a feel from the players and I'm like, oh, they want another one. They want another one, another skill or another this or another that, you know? Um, and they start to really enjoy it. Um, but sometimes it's like, oh, we do a bit of uh, ball mastery and then we move on to the next, the next part. So I think that's one of the ways. The biggest um, issue I think that, that coaches have or the biggest constraint is time. Um, so we are at, at the club I'm at, we're with the players three times a week plus a game. So even the club is saying, uh, make one a technical, one a tactical session and then preparation preparation for your match. So why you would need to prepare for a match on a weekend for anyone under the senior team is beyond me, but that's my belief. Many of the other coaches are like, oh yeah, we're gonna work on this, we're gonna work on blah, blah, blah. Last time we lost to this team, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I, I think it's very hard to remove the idea of being results driven. Um, and I, I say that also because from my point of view, I am who I am and I have my, um, what can we say, stigma. Like when, when people go, oh, you know, Daniel's coming out oh, all, the, all the players are gonna do skills, all the players are gonna be able to do 1v1, Daniel's not gonna yell from the sideline. Like, you know, other than maybe, hey, you know, come on, let's go, keep going, we're unlucky, well done, other than things like that. Um, whereas other coaches um, will go to the licences, Uh, get the license, come in. And it's like, right, I'm 19 years old. Uh, When I'm 26, I'd love to be in England. I'd love to be doing this. I'd love to be doing. And you can't take away that dream either. So how, how do they get their opportunity to progress up the levels, you know, until you have a really good technical director or someone who comes in and goes, hey, if you can show me that this is this next year, we'll give you this job or I have this opportunity, or I love the way that you've been working with the players. I can see their improvement. Oh, but we're losing 2-0, 3-0, you know. Yeah, but last week, we were playing centre-back to the left-back to play out. This week, the centre-back drove, played to the left-back, left-back involved the six further up, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. So you need also someone overlooking with, I suppose, a lot of football knowledge. Because if if not, then you're always going to be like, well, you know, we lost 2-0, and this, this time around, we've gone we've 2-2, two, two, so we must be doing well. You might have had the under-10s sitting in a low block, everyone on the line, yeah. you know? Like, no one knows, because you can't watch every game. So that idea of, um, of how coaches are judged, I think, is very difficult. So I, I have a lot of empathy for, for everyone who coaches, you know? It's not, it's not easy especially if you have dreams to make it profession, to go on to do something else, to to work your way up into a position where it's like, hey, you know, I'm full-time, I'm the this coach, even strength conditioning or I'm the stats guy or I'm the, you know, whatever it is at, at a professional club. Um, you need certain experiences. And... <laughs> Some people look at, well, you know, you didn't win the under-8s championship. So, you know, we went with this guy. He's got, you know, he's won under 8s, 9s and 10s. So maybe he's better at developing these types. Honestly, these conversations happen. Um, I think it's, yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one. But if it was up to me, I would remove all of that. And I'd say, look, the KPI is different. We're looking for you to produce players that can do X, Y and Z. And if this season you managed to get this player so obviously the abilities are varying. If you manage to get this player to do the things he's doing by the end of the season, you've had a fantastic season, you know? Really? So, right. but then of course, you've got the pressure of the parents They don't right. understand that. And the parent of the player up here is like, well, you know, you're helping these, but what about my boy? He, he wants the golden boot, and it like a lot happens, a lot happens, you know? So it, it's very difficult.
0: All right, last one. This one's flown. Oh, this I, I thought my clock was broke about twenty minutes ago. I think like, there's no way. It's <laughs> um, listen, there's there's going to be people that are that have you know that are going to be impacted by by learning more about you by this interview, or that were maybe going in more, want to go in more of an individual creativity one v one direction, or want to have a few weeks in the in December and maybe just. Upskill in a certain area like what what would you advise those those coaches in regards to finding a little bit more out about about your philosophy and your world and all that good stuff
1: sure um i mean look if you go and search daniel capillaro or google d10 football um it should pop up (laughs) if it doesn't i'm worried (laughs) It, it should pop up you know um but yeah you'll be able to find me on instagram twitter I've got stuff on YouTube. On YouTube, there's plenty of tutorials about um, ball mastery. I even go into the uh, lateral movement and why I think it's more important to be able to develop players that can um, feint and create space and move the ball left and right rather than just drive on. Um, and then there's also, on top of that, there's a peripheral vision uh, part that that is – added to this so the ball mastery has many components it's not just doing tricks and skills obviously there's that that's the fun um and then you're looking for the actual sides of the, what you're coaching like you know when I did a step over my touch where did it go did the touch go into space did the touch go away from the defender did I keep the defender between me and the and the ball on the other side all these types of things but am I dribbling to the space because it's a two V one or am I engaging? Cause it's one V one and I want to keep space both sides. So there's lots of different things you can get into there. Um, you'll find all of that. Um, I actually, you asked you, there's one you were going to ask me about like, in terms of how the, how coaches can start. And if it is that you have a team and you're like, I want to do more one V one, I want to do more uh, ball mastery. Start with two moves or even three moves and it can be as simple as you like. Like you can do a a step over, you can do a Cruyff turn, and you can do a Ronaldo chop. And most of the kids know these. Do it on your left foot. Do it on your right foot. Combine the three of them. Now that you've combined them in this way, combine them the other way. Now do it with your left foot. Now do it again with your right foot. Then, juggling. So can I do uh, laces, insides, outsides, thighs, some of the younger kids don't use shoulder, but if, you, if you've got a team that's like 13, 14, shoulders, head, and then pop the ball up in the air, bring it down with your laces, bring it down with the inside or outside, bring it down with a, I saw a Glenn Hicks call it a wedge touch, you know, like where you where bounce the ball into the ground, the Mahrez one, mm. bring it down like that. Different ways of bringing the ball down. And then can you do the combo? And then can you do it with your left foot? You have a 15 to 20 minute warm up just with three skills. Perfect. so. If you are, I think, uh, and you can tell by the way I'm talking about me, I'm obsessed with this stuff. So <laughs> if, if you're, <laughs> if you're as like up here, if you're as crazy as I am about skills, you'll always find a way, you know, to to incorporate it. And then from that, if you want to see it coming out with your players, 1v1 Gladiator. So say right tonight, we're playing Champions League um, and you have squares of 10 by 10 and you can have them like this. And you get two players in each. So you can do it for like 20 players. You only need 10 squares. And you go, right, this is um, National North Division 1. And then you go League 2, League 1, Championship, Premier League, uh, UEFA, um, Europa League. Champions like that, Champions League, oh, I want to get to the Champions League. Yeah. And you do things like, that, one's a line game where you've got to stop the ball on the line. The other one, you've got to dribble over. Another one, you have to try and nutmeg. And then the Champions League is goals. So the person who scores three goals first, you know, can be the winner. Things like that. And you'll start to see they're defending. They're like, oh, the Champions League is desperate. Slide tackles, all sorts happening. Like, you know, 1v1 is not just about all those flicks and tricks, but... If you can do that with someone who's trying to win in the Champions League square, like, you can definitely do it in a game, you know. (laughs) Um, And then from there, 2v1, uh, understanding that, like, I want to suck that pressure over to myself. I'm going to assume the responsibility. I'm going to be creative. I'm the 10, and I'm giving it to my teammate, who's the 9 or the winger, and they're going to score in an open net. That's the first part. Then 2v2. So now, okay, a 1v1. I'm looking for a little run in, beso- uh, in behind, or does he stay back? Are they, are they playing with a cover? So if they're playing with cover, can he stay back, support behind? And I have to move, I have to check, I have to faint, I have to lose my marker to retain the ball further up. Um, how much time we got? Cause I'm, I'm just talking, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm rambling now. Um, so, and then, you know, you've obviously, I've said about the cover, you've got the defensive aspect as well. Like, um, once you get to three v three and four v four, it gets really interesting if your players are very well versed in the first two.
0: Brilliant! Wow, outstanding! This <laughs> is <Daniel, laughs> first class. Daniel, thank you so much. We'll have to. will uh. We'll have to do it again. We've got about twenty questions not asked. So
1: <laughs> no problems, mate. I had I had all my notes ready. Look at this. I don't think I looked at them once. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.